If you are jumping in with us, we are looking at a little series on the life of David. Um, David is a man in the Old Testament. We're going to be in the book of First and Second Samuel. Now, this was originally one kind of story altogether. It wasn't like they wrote First Samuel and it was a hit. And so they're like, oh, let's, let's do it. Let's do a second one, you know, we'll rake in the dough. Maybe we could sell this to Disney Plus. No, this was not this was not that. It was one book, but the scroll would get so long and huge that they're like, well, this is can't carry this sleeping bag of a scroll around, right? So they had to divide it into two parts, and that's why we have first and second Samuel. But it's really all one story. Um, the main characters are a guy named Samuel. And we see him at the very beginning of this book. He, his mom is praying for him. He, she wants to have a child. She can't. And God gives her a son. And in favor to God, she gives him back to God. He basically lives at the tabernacle with this priest named Eli. And he becomes a prophet of Israel. A prophet was simply someone that heard from God and would speak to his people. That's all it was. Because it wasn't like today, right? So God would say, all right, I'm going to use this person in Israel, my chosen people. You can trust this person that they are hearing from God. All right, so he would speak to God's people. Um, Israel wasn't like other nations. Other nations had a king, and Israel saw this, and they're like, we want to be like them. And God's like, the whole point is that you're not like them. And he, so he's like, I don't want you to be like them. You don't need a king. God is your king. That's the whole point of me setting you apart and being my chosen people. Like, but we still want a king. I can picture this as like a toddler and it's like, okay, fine, I'll get the candy bar. Here you go. Right. Now, so he's, but it's gonna, it's gonna come back to haunt you later. Right. And, and it does. It does come back to haunt them later, just like that candy bar, right? Uh, so they, they choose a king. God chooses um, a man named Saul. Um, Saul is appointed king. He's anointed by Samuel to be Israel's leader. Um, and you can see how Saul starts off kind of good. Starts off worshiping God. You think he's going to be this awesome king. He's super tall. He can fight well. You know, everything you would want in a king. But what Saul does not have going for him is he is so bent on that he is not good enough that he decides to, I need to please the people. That's, that's my job. I need to be able to stay in power and please people. And so he starts doing that. He, everything he does, he's thinking about other people. He's not thinking about God. And so through the course of events, he doesn't listen to God and does things his own way. And when you read this story, you're not even like, really? That wasn't even that bad. It's not like he went off and did, like, he offered a sacrifice to God. Why is that a bad thing? But he didn't wait like God told him to. And God's number one thing that he wanted out of Saul was not leadership, was not sacrifice. It was obedience. It's like, I want someone that's going to be obedient to me. Uh, so Saul fails to listen to God. David is then anointed, right, the guy that we're talking about. He is anointed as a young man, um, and you can hear all about that in the last couple weeks here. And then he faces this giant Goliath. Everybody else is scared of this Philistine warrior, and David's like, why are you scared? God's on our side. We don't need to be afraid, right? And he battles this giant Goliath. And so after this, David becomes popular. All right, now you're all cut up. That's the last two episodes, all right? Today's, 
here we go. Um, today we're going to look at the life of David and contrastingly the life of Saul because their two stories kind of combine here and intertwine. Um, so I want you to look for two things as we read this story today. Um, humility and honor. Everybody say humility and honor. Way to go, guys. All right, we see that David is anointed, and in the Bible it says that he is a man after God's own heart. God's own heart. And humility is at the center of having a heart for God. Really. Uh, so stand with me all over this place. We're going to pray to get today before we really jump into this story. God, we, we ask that you would speak to us through your word. God, give us your words today. Uh, speak to us, uh, let us hear from you, and challenge us in ways that we didn't even know we needed to be challenged. God, would you speak through me, give me your words to relay to us today, and help us have a heart after you. In your name we pray, amen. Amen, you guys can have a seat. All right, so let's look at this story today. I'm not going to put a ton of scripture on the screen because as I tell the story, uh, we're going through chapters 18 through 26. So unless you really want to sit here and read that, I'm going to kind of summarize parts of this story to get you up to speed. Um, We're going to look at this chapter by chapter a little bit before we really jump in. Um, But before before we jump into the story, I do want to challenge us. Um, Don't let me and what I feel like God has said to me interpret the Bible for you. Okay, I'm here to help us and challenge us, but that's, that's not the way God designed the Bible. He didn't say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write this, and I'm going to put people up on a stage, and then they're going to tell them what they should feel and what they should do. No, God's word was written to speak to you um, and to challenge you. And so my hope is not that you come away writing down these four points that I have, but my hope is that you write down something that I didn't even think of because it's your life and how God wants to speak to you, right? I, I believe that God uses us and does speak through us, and I obviously I have things that I've written down that I believe God spoke to me to share with us today, but that is not the end goal. The end goal is for us to be independent people, right? To be independent in the way that we learn and hear from God, not to be dependent on somebody else to say, well, what does God want to speak to me? God can use other people, but he wants to speak to you. You are his child, and he wants to speak to you. During Jesus' time, when they went to the synagogue, a a, a lot of what they did was they would pull out the Bible and someone would just read. That's, they didn't say, all right, now pull out your notes and take these four four points. No, so we're just gonna read the scripture. And let it come alive. So that, that's my prayer today, is that the scripture, this, this story, comes alive to you. And that you hear it through your ears in the way God wants to speak to you. All right, so 1 Samuel, chapters 18 through 26. Chapter 18. Ready? Here we go. So David, um, he, he kills Goliath. He serves as the commander uh, of the army, as part of Saul's army. And he, Um, Saul gets fearful of David. 
He gets fearful of David, right? So David rises to kind of this popular thing and we see David come back from fighting the giant Goliath and we see in the Bible these women come out on the streets and they're dancing and they're singing and they're saying, they're saying Saul has slain his thousands but David his tens of thousands and Saul's like, Saul has slain his thousands but David, wait a second. They're just, what? And it says they're singing this to Saul. So these women come out in the streets and they're trying, they think maybe they're praising. I don't know what they thought. Like, why, why are you saying this to Saul? Um, but Saul, obviously, he gets very, very jealous, um, gets fearful of David. And he, in chapter 18, he tries to kill him by sending him into a dangerous situation, a dangerous battle to win the approval of marrying one of his daughters, right? And you can read about that. And so David has to go into this scary, scary situation. But don't worry, he doesn't get eaten by the eels at this point. Okay, I see you were a little bit concerned. There's no eels, there's no eels. It's Princess Bride in case you've never seen the greatest movie ever. Um, (laughs) No, but but David, he, he survives this battle and he comes back and Saul's still angry with him. But Saul's best friend, or jo- <laughs> David's best friend, there's a lot of names, guys. <laughs> David's best friend was Saul's son named Jonathan. So chapter 19, Saul makes a vow to Jonathan to not kill David. And then if you read three verses down later, he tries to kill him with a spear. <laughs> he literally throws a spear at him, pins his shirt to the wall, and David has to run out of there. And we see that God's spirit leaves Saul. And one verse, it actually says that God sends an evil spirit to torment Saul. And as I'm wrestling through this, I'm like, what? God doesn't, God, there's no evil in God. So how does God send an evil spirit to Saul? And the way I, I kind of thought through this and prayed through this was, was the way more, if you look at the story of Job, right? Satan comes to God and is like, let me do this. And God kind of allows bad things to happen to Job. And so I, I, I think that as God's spirit, the Holy Spirit leaves Saul, it leaves him vulnerable and open to jealousy, to anxiety, to depression, to all of these feelings <laughs> And he is overwhelmed with them. And he literally throws a spear at David in anger. Um, David flees the palace then and goes to Samuel. He goes to hide. He's like, Samuel, I don't know what to do. And Saul hears where David is, sends warriors there to get, get David. And every time the warriors go up to where David is staying to the temple, they start to prophesy. They, they, they get overcome by God's spirit. And so Saul sends more guys. Same thing happened. And Saul's like, fine, I'm going to go there myself. Saul goes there, and he starts to prophesy and gets overcome by God's spirit, and David leaves. That's chapter 19. David is still on the run. Chapters 20 and 21, um, David then goes to Jonathan, Saul's son, his best friend. He's like, why is your dad trying to kill me? What, What did I do? All I've ever done is go into battles and win things for him. Why is he trying to kill me? And I, I, I don't know. This is one moment where I'm like, David, really? You have to ask this question? <laughs> I mean, you've been anointed to be the next king. I think that's pretty much the only reason he needs. Uh, but he's like, why, why is Saul trying to kill me? Um, and so he, he leaves, David leaves, and he goes to a place called Nob. 
which is not a town I would like to be named from. Um, he goes to a place called Nob, and he talks to a priest there. And I think he goes to this specific town on purpose because he goes to this priest and he's like, oh, I'm so hungry. Do you have anything? He gives them this, this consecrated bread and he says, well, do you have any weapons? Like, this is a temple. What do you think? We have weapons just lying around? And the guy's like, well, actually, we have the sword of Goliath. That you, you killed him, didn't you? It's like, oh, yeah, I did. I didn't know that was here. Right? And so he gets the sword of Goliath. The Bible says there is no other sword like it. And he goes on the run. He goes on the run. Um, the next place he goes to is a place called Gath. And to avoid being detained and stuff. He acts like a crazy madman. The Bible says literally saliva. He acts crazy and foams at the mouth and lets saliva run down his beard to where the point where these guys are like, this is, this is the David guy? Let's just leave him over here and not, he can just go back to where he needs to be because this is gross. Right? And that's how he escapes. Not ashamed to do anything to survive. Right? <laughs> so that's chapters 20 and 21. 22, chapter 22, we're getting somewhere, I promise. Um, Saul, we're back to Saul now. Saul, Saul becomes so obsessed with keeping power um, that he'll stop at nothing to remove David, to remove this threat. Um, so we see kind of this climax of how far Saul has come from the man we see at the beginning to now. And in chapter 22, he hears David was at Nob, at this temple. And he, so he goes there with his group of fighting people, whatever you want to call them. Um, he goes there, and he talks to the priest. He's like, hey, was David here? I, I think you're conspiring with him. And he turns against them, and he has 85 priests killed at Nob. This man that, that once claimed to be like, I'm going to honor God and obey God, and I'm offering sacrifices to God. Now he's killing God's priests. Um, and 85 people lose their life that day because Saul is so overcome with jealousy and rage and, and pride. Chapter 23, David then, he hears this. He goes on the run. He's joined by a few hundred men. And chapter 23 is basically him moving from place to place, trying not to get killed by Saul. And Saul is hunting him down. And this is, I wanted you to see before we jumped into chapter 24 here. How did this happen? Because last week we saw David hears, like, hears from God, he kills Goliath, he's anointed to be the next king. So now chapter, if we had jumped right into chapter 24, like, wait, why is he hiding? Shouldn't he be celebrated? He just killed Goliath. Shouldn't the whole like, nation of Israel be like cheering for him? Shouldn't Saul be cheering? But now David is on the run. He's hiding and fearing for his life. Chapter 24. So Saul goes on the hunt for David. The Bible says he has 3,000 soldiers with him. And he goes to this place. He hears David in this, is in this region of the land. And he goes to a cave because, well, nature called. Right? So he goes up to this cave to relieve himself. He's in there doing his business. And he does not know David and his few hundred men are way deep in this very same cave. True story. <laughs> and David's men see Saul. Like, David, God has come to our aid. 
Surely God has provided Saul to come here so that you can go and kill him. Say, look, God has delivered your enemy into your hands. David creeps up to Saul. And now I'm not really sure how this worked. I don't know if he was like playing Fruit Ninja on his phone or what. Maybe. No, you know what? He was probably posting nasty comments online because it's Saul. But I don't know how this happened, but David creeps up to Saul without Saul noticing, takes out his knife, and he cuts a little slice of Saul's robe, corner of his robe off, and goes back into the, in the cave. And I can just picture this. The guys are probably like, What's that? What, what, did, what, did you, what did you take? Did you take his ring? Did you take his crap? I got a piece of his robe. Like, what? What are you doing, David? Uh, and Saul leaves. He leaves the cave. And this is what the Bible says. David feels so guilty about dishonoring king, the king that he rebukes his men and tells them not to harm Saul. Verse 8 Let's read. It says, Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul. My lord, the, ki the king, he says. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down, prostrated himself with his face to the ground. And he said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say, David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on the Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. Verse 11. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but I did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. After hearing David Saul calls out to him. He begins to cry. And basically, he admits that he's been in the wrong. And we see this up and down, crazy emotional fluctuation of Saul. Another indication, God's spirit has left him, and he is just all over the place, right? Um, and so he, he hears David, and he admits that he is wrong. And this is what he says. He says, David, please don't let any harm come to my family. I know surely you will be the king of Israel. And then he leaves. David's like, okay, I can breathe. Chapter 25. The, the, it starts, chapter 25 says, Samuel dies and all Israel mourns him. That's it. That's, all, that's the end of Samuel. That's what we hear. Like, I would think that there would be more, this book is called Samuel. And he doesn't even make it to part two. No. <laughs> no. But Samuel dies, all Israel mourns him, and David is still on the run, hiding from Saul. Um, he finally finds a little place to settle for a little bit in, in the desert of Maon. Um, so verse two, it says, a certain man in Maon, a man in Maon, I don't know how you say it, Maon or Maon, I don't know. But he had property there at Carmel, who was very wealthy. He had 3,000 goats, or 1,000 goats and 3,000 sheep, which he was shearing at Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was intelligent and beautiful. This is where Kyle usually makes a joke about there's so few of us, right? <laughs> or wait, no, that's smart and good looking. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, she was intelligent and beautiful woman, but he... Her husband, a Calebite, was a surly and mean in his dealings. So sheep shearing season, say that three times fast, um, was kind of like a celebrated time here. 
okay? It was a celebrated time. They had more than what they needed, especially someone wealthy like Nabal. He would pretty much be raking in the dough or the fleece at this point. Um, so David sends Nabal a message, a very kind and polite way. He asks this, verse 7. says, now I hear it's sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them, and the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your servants, and they will tell you. Therefore, be favorable toward my young men, since we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. Nabal, who just a couple verses earlier was described as surly and mean, um, Nabal responds the way you might think someone with his description would respond. He basically says this. He says, who is this David that thinks he can demand my stuff? This is my stuff. We worked hard for this. I'm not, I'm not sharing it with you. I don't even know who you are, right? And so David's men return, and they probably, you know, they tell David, like, well, he responded, and he said, no, they were, they were probably mad, right? This guy just yelled at them. They're like, we're warriors. What are you... I have a sword. Do you not see this? Right. And, but this, so they run back. They're probably mad too. And they tell David what happened. That Nabal responds like, who is this David? What does he think he can do to demand my stuff? When David hears this, he tells his men, grab your swords. And him and about 400 men start marching towards Nabal's house. So meanwhile, back at Nabal's house, one of the servants overheard N Nabal's nasty Facebook reply in the comments section, and, or, oh no, um, but a servant overhears and Abigail, tells Abigail what happened, how Nabal responded to David's men. Um, and Abigail acts quickly. She packs up a bunch of food, some fig newtons, and secretly, it's, I mean, you can read it. Read in the Bible. It says fig newtons or fig cakes or something like that. I picture fig, fig newtons. Uh, so she packs up a bunch of food and secretly, without Nabal knowing, goes out to meet David. And she basically says this. She says, forgive my husband Nabal. He is a fool. And even his name, Nabal, means fool. And he's always getting himself into trouble. He says, please forgive this offense. Go into what God has for you without this bloodshed and vengeance on your conscience. And David responds to this correction. Mad David with 400 guys behind him responds immediately like this in verse 32. Says, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment, for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. So Abigail returns and tells Nabal the next morning. Nabal is drunk because he's been partying because he's so happy that he has so much wool, I guess. I don't know. That's a thing. Maybe he's like, I can make so many sweaters. I oh, know. <laughs> but Nabal is so prideful that the next morning after he's sobered up, Abigail comes to him and she. And he, She's like, hey, just so you know, I saved your life. No big deal. No need to thank me or anything. I brought David some food. And he's like, you what? And he has a heart attack and dies. <laughs> Literally has a heart attack and dies because he was so prideful. Um, he couldn't believe what he, she had done. So David then sends for Abigail at, to be one of his wives. Now, David could have responded a very different way. He could have responded and say, don't you know me? I'm David, I've got 400 men. I'm coming to take what's mine. But he responded a different way, right? 
He responded immediately, thank you. Thank you for stopping me. This woman coming to correct him. Now, during this time, that would, he would be like, what, who are you? What do you, what, what do you think you, you're doing? I'm anointed to be the king. But he responds immediately with humility. Chapter 26. So even though Saul, just a couple chapters ago, apparently had changed and said David he was going to leave him alone, that didn't last very long. It was only momentarily because now he's back on the hashtag let's kill David bandwagon. So Saul is pursuing David again, again, and David hears where Saul is camped. Verse 6, chapter 26. He says, who will go down into the camp with me to Saul, David says. I'll go with you, says Abishai. So David and Abishai went to the army by night, and there was Saul lying asleep inside the camp with his spear stuck in the ground near his head. Abner and the soldiers were lying around him. Abner was like Saul's right-hand warrior dude. Um, Abishai said to David, today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of my spear. I won't strike him twice. But David said to Abishai, don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? He then grabs Saul's spear, and Abishai is probably like, wait, didn't you just say? He grabs his water jug from beside Saul's heads, and they leave without anyone seeing them. Again, David must have been like a ninja or something, like seriously. So he gets a distance away up on a hill, and he calls out to Saul. And long story short, the same thing happens as before. He calls out to Saul. He says, Saul, Saul, see, Lord has delivered you into my hand, and I spared your life. And Saul begins to cry. He's like, David, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Please, uh, I, I, you're going to be king. You're going to be the best guy. You're so amazing. And I'm so awful. Right? And he appears to have this change of heart. And the two go their separate ways. But again, it only lasts like a chapter. <laughs> if you want to see how it ends, read chapters 27 through 31 this week on your own, and then start 2 Samuel this week in your Bible, all right? I'm not gonna, we're not going to go any farther than that today. All right, so let's look at this together then. I, I believe God wants to speak to you through this, through his word today. I also believe God has showed me some things. Uh, so I have four things to take away from today for me and maybe they apply to you as well. So if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Humility is at the center of having a heart for God, and honoring God and others is at the center of humility, right? We see this at the core of David's life. Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. David stands up to Goliath because he knows God is on his side and, and won't let anything dishonor God. David finds this amazing line that's so hard to find, of self-confidence without a hint of being arrogant or prideful of his accomplishments because he knows God is deserving of all the honor, right? Humility says, I'm putting God first. And I think it was C.S. Lewis who said, humility isn't thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less, right? It's getting rid of this American consumerism, me first selfish mentality and truly coming to terms with my life is not my own. My life is not my own. My accomplishments are not my own. I am not a self-made man. How selfish is that phrase, right? We say that, we're like, oh yeah, I'm a self-made man. I came from nothing. Like, no, I'm not a self-made man. I'm a God-made man. 
I'm a God-made person. Everything I have has been given to me by God. But his goodness is not based on the things he's given me or the blessings he's given me. His goodness is based solely on the fact that he is God. That's it. It's all he needs to be good. doesn't need to be good to me by me thinking I have stuff or blessings. He simply just has to be there to be God. So what, what do you want people to say about it? Do you want people to say that you are a person after God's own heart like they did to David? Then start by living with humility. Number two, I see through these stories about David that humility and restraint are not acts of weakness, but a control of power, right? A control of power. See, power without control is just chaos, right? If you have, and you can look at any six-year-old boy in a room of Legos, and you can know that power without control is chaos, right? They have all the power, but if they are not controlled, then it is chaos. When I look at these stories, I see Saul, a man who is bent on keeping his power, so bent on pleasing others that he'll do anything for those two things, to keep his power and to please others. I see that people-pleasing while maybe on the outside looks good, is not an act of humility, but instead veiled pride. It's about me. People pleasing is not about me helping you and making you happy. It's about me thinking that you like me. That's a lot of me, right? So people pleasing is not humility, it's pride. David's restraint shows me more of his power and control than Saul's outbursts and quest for vengeance, right? Violence and oppression are not signs of power. They're signs of chaos and pride, and that's it. See, true power is shown through control, is shown through restraint. All right, number three, offense is rooted in pride and love is rooted in humility. In the story of Nabal and David, Nabal gets so offended that someone would ask for what is his, what he earned, what he deserve, deserved, that he makes a needless enemy out of David. And in the end, it truly did cost him everything, right? When you are offended, and I'm telling you right now, 99% of the time, when you are offended, it's rooted in pride, right? There is no offense in humility. You can't be offended and be humble about something. There are times to be rightfully offended about someone being mistreated, right? But being offended by what someone said to you, that's still pride. It still hurts, it still sucks, but it's still pride, right? So everything we do, right? And I don't want to get political. Nabal had the right to his stuff. It was his. David had every right to ask for provisions for the work that he did of prov providing protection for his shepherds. Life is not always super black and white, but neither of them, they both had the right to the way that they wanted to respond, but neither of them really did have the right to respond out of pride, out of anger, right? There's a story about a guy named Booker T. Washington. If you don't know who he is, you should totally look up his story. But he was a black man who worked his way out of oppression and became a scholar, started Tuskegee Institute. And there's a story, he's, he's walking down the street one day and this wealthy white woman comes out and sees him walking down the street, doesn't know who he is, and says, hey, 
you want to earn a few bucks chopping wood at my house? And he says, yeah, I don't got anything to do, sure. And he goes over and he chops wood at her house. He's bringing it into her house, and one of the young girls at, at her house sees him, recognizes this famous man, nationally famous man, in her house. He puts the wood down, he leaves, and later that night, <laughs> the story goes that this, this young girl tells this lady, you know who was in our house? That was Booker T. Washington. She's like, what, who? He's the scholar, he's amazing. And the next day, the woman, thoroughly embarrassed, shows up at his office and apologizes profusely that she did not realize who he was. And here's his response. He says, it's perfectly all right. Occasionally, I enjoy some manual labor. Besides, it's always a delight to do something for a friend. He had every right to be offended that this lady blatantly profiled him because of the color of his skin. He understood that love often does more good than offense, right? And the story goes that this influential, wealthy white woman donated then thousands of dollars to the Tuskegee Institute and persuaded her friends to do the same because she admired his character and humility. See, humility and pride receive correction very differently, right? When David is corrected by Abigail, uh, instead of getting even, he says, thank you. He literally says, thank you. He recognizes the mistake. In chapter 15, when Saul is confronted about his mistakes, he shifts blame and does all sorts of excuses and all of that. Now, pride is a big deal. And, and I was talking to Kyle about this as I was just finishing my message and and we're talking like, you know, it's so hard when you talk about pride because it's so hard to define. Like, yeah. And it's so easy for us to be like, oh, I'm not arrogant. I don't deal with pride. I'm not, I'm not selfish. You're a human. You deal with pride. Pride is at the core of our sinful nature. Sin is putting us before God. And that is the basis of pride. All right, last thing. Honor is not given based on what you think about a person's character. Honor is given because every person is created by God and all authority is given by God. We ask our music team to come. Everyone, Romans 13, one says, everyone must submit themselves to the governing authorities for all authority has been established by God. David honors Saul's authority even when it doesn't make sense. You're like, wait, God's spirit left him? David was anointed the new king? Why is he still honoring Saul? Because he is chosen king still. He's still reigning in power. In this book of Romans, you think, well, maybe they had great rulers at that time when Paul was writing this book of Romans. No. In fact, the emperor Claudius at that time, when Paul says, honor and respect your governing authorities, the emperor Claudius had just made a decree that all Jews should be banned from Rome, that they had to leave, leave everything, leave their homes, leave everything, leave their business, and get out of Rome. And Paul says, respect and honor your authority because all authority has been established by God. The only time we see in the Bible disobedience to authority as okay is when authority is saying something completely contrary to God's word. Like when we see them say, bow down to this statue or pray to me, the king. Then we see people be disobedient to their authority. Still, they get thrown into a furnace into a lion's den, but hey, they trusted in God. 
Honor is not about what you think about someone. That's not. <laughs> honor is simply saying, they're created by God. They're an authority over me. Or maybe they're not even over you, but they're still created by God. You should honor every person. It's so hard. But honor is not something you choose to give your boss, your spouse, your coach, your governor, your president, or God. The mark of humility is that honor is given, period. Nothing else. Not honor is given when they're making good decisions or when they're not taking away your rights. Honor is given. Nothing else. Because humility is at the center of having a heart for God and honoring others and God is at the center of humility. Would you guys stand with me today? Pride is a big deal in God's word. If you don't trust me, which I hope that you do, but I also hope you go and do your own research, Google, what does the Bible say about pride? And you'll have tons and tons and tons of verses that tell you God detests pride. He opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. All of these things, we see pride is a big deal to God. We choose to make all these other sins and things a big deal to Christianity and a big deal to our life. Pride is the basis of it all. So how do we, how do we walk in humility? Humility is simply surrender. Saying, God, your way is better than my way. Whether you're running for your life like David, literally running for your life, and he still says, God is good. He's faithful every day. His mercies are new every morning. And I will honor him and praise him all the days of my life. Right? He writes all these amazing things in Psalms while he is being chased and pursued by Saul on the verge of death. But he understands something. Honor is just given. And humility is surrender, saying, God, your ways are better than mine want to be used by you like David to have a heart after you. For God, if there's one thing that people say about us, that they would say that we have a heart after you. God, that we reflect your character, that we love people like you do, that we honor people like you do. God, help us surrender our lives, surrender everything to you, Jesus. Maybe you're here today, um, and as we've talked about humility, we've talked about honor, we've talked about David, there's more to this story, right? God sends his promised savior, Jesus, to come and save the world from our sin, from our pride, from the things that we've done wrong. And he asks us to trust him, to believe in him. Then if we do that, the Bible says we will be saved, right? Saved from what? Saved from sin saved from a death of eternity and to spend life with him and with every head bowed and eyes closed nobody looking around if you're here today you say you know what I, i've never surrendered my heart completely to god maybe you even said the words but you've never truly given your heart in surrender of everything saying you know what no matter god what happens in my life i want to serve you if that's you today, if you say, I want to surrender everything to God, I want you to simply lift up your hand and put it back down. And we're going to pray together. Awesome.
anybody else. If you're online, you can respond in the comments too. You can make this the best decision you've ever made. All right, would you guys pray with me? Everybody repeat after me. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for saving me. God, I surrender. My heart, my life, my world, take it all. I want to serve you from this day forward. I make you my Lord. Amen. 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 Right? Humility isn't something we choose once. Something that we choose once a day, even. Something we have to choose hundreds of times every single day. But let that be our challenge. Whatever you are facing today, trust God. Be humble. Give Him it all. And let's go through this week extending honor to the people around us. Thank you so much for coming today. If you need someone to pray with you, we would gladly do that. But you are dismissed. Thank you so much.